gentle disclaimer to all of our listeners. All medical information mentioned in this podcast is purely informational. It is not individualized medical advice. Please follow up with your physician or medical practitioner for individualized care specific to your needs. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Know and Do Better podcast. My name is Dr. Melanie Carminati, and I will be your host. We are very fortunate today to have Dr. Mark Goldstein with us. Dr. Goldstein, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure. For those who do not know Dr. Mark Goldstein, he is the Matthew P. Hardy Distinguished Professor of Reproductive Medicine and Neurology at Weill Cornell Medical College of Cornell University. Surgeon-in-Chief, Male Reproductive Medicine and Surgery, and Director of the Center for Male Reproductive Medicine and Microsurgery at the New York Presbyterian Hospital Weill Cornell Medical Center. He is Adjunct Senior Scientist with the Population Council's Center for Biomedical Research, located on the campus of Rockefeller University. He is a board-certified urologic surgeon and member of a dozen national and international medical societies dealing with male infertility and reproduction. So Dr. Goldstein, I know you've done tremendous amounts of research on paternal age and fertility. Can you discuss some of the less common known concerns for men's fertility in older age? Everyone knows that as women age is over the age of 40 or at the age of 40, there's a doubling in the incidence of Down syndrome, doubling in the incidence of major birth defects. That's pretty well well known. What's le- much less well known is that after the age of 45, paternal age, say with a 25-year-old healthy, super fertile female, just being over the age of 45 in a male, double the incidence of Down syndrome, double the incidence of major birth defects, three times the incidence of schizophrenia, five times the incidence of autism. And these are papers that have been published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, the New England Journal, accumulated uh, evidence over the years. We know that male age is at least as important a factor in the health of the baby as is female age. Now, that said, the incidence of of normal babies with the younger men and younger women is, is about 98.5%. If a man's over the age of 45, it's 95%. So a majority of the babies is still going to be healthy and normal, but the couples should be aware that there is this increased risk. And some couples don't care about that, but other couples are very concerned about it. Why do you think that these concerns related to older fatherhood are less known to the general public? We all know that male fertility issues contribute to at least 50% of all causes of infertility in couples in general. If you look at the overall statistics, about a third is a pure male, about a third is a pure female, and a third is a mixture of the two. And you would know this. Women usually have a relationship with a gynecologist since they start menstruating. For example, they're told to check their breasts every month. Men don't have that kind of relationship. In couples in the age I see, testicular cancer is not only the most common cancer in men, but it's in fact three times more common than breast cancer. But men aren't taught to check their testicles. It's testicular cancer after the age of 45, it's prostate cancer. And because uh, women have had a relationship with a gynecologist usually their whole lives, and men don't have that kind of relationship with the urologist, if they have trouble getting pregnant, where do they go? They go to their gynecologist. And what does the gynecologist do? She'll check the woman out first. And I can't tell you how many couples I've seen where the woman has gone through invasive evaluation, including laparoscopy and, and pictures of the tubes before the husband has even had a te- single semen analysis and he comes out Zippo and everything the female went through is actually for nothing. Typically, when couples have trouble conceiving, it's usually blamed on the women. Also, if you look at the 
couples that go to their gynecologist and they have a problem, usually the gynecologist will say, well, go see my friend who did an IVF fellowship. And, and they go to the IVF program and IVF has become a huge business, incredibly competitive business. So they typically, if there's any sperm at all, they'll send the female and say they should do IVF uh, before even fully evaluating the male. And most of the time, the male issue, if it is a male issue, can be corrected or repaired and their chances of getting pregnant without IVF are improved. Or in fact, as urologists who do male fertility, we bring more patients to IVF doctors than they would ever lose. They're afraid of losing patients to us, but we bring them patients that wouldn't have even been candidates before. One of the uh, issues you actually bring up, you know, the egg freezing. That's one of the huge businesses of IVF groups now. And um, I was actually interviewed by the New York Times a year or two ago on this issue. Should men freeze their sperm? You actually uh, brought that up. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's a, you know, I mentioned that Male factor issues with the health of the baby occurs after the age of 45. So should men start freezing their sperm? Well, it's actually the same issue that's a problem for freezing eggs is a problem with freezing sperm. Freezing sperm has been around for over a century in the animal area. In humans, it's been around well over 50 years. We can freeze sperm very successfully. They can stay frozen you know, for 50 years or more without changing. Wow. Egg freezing, egg freezing, when I started out in the field, and they first started doing that, had a 10% survival rate. Now we're up to about 80%. Female age is the most important predictor as to whether freezing eggs is going to be useful and will the egg survive. And the same thing is true with males. The younger you are at the time you freeze the sperm, the better the chances that the sperm are gonna be healthy when they're thawed out. If you're going to freeze sperm because you're a male and like women who freeze, you're not sure if you're ever going to want to have children, or maybe you won't want to have children until you're after 45 and the risks are increased, the younger you are, which you freeze. But guys in their 20s and 30s generally aren't even thinking about that at that point. They usually don't start thinking about it until they're already close to 45. And in fact, there's other data that shows the impact of age on paternal fertility already is starting at the age of 40. Freezing is a legitimate thing to do, but if you're going to do what you want when you're young, preferably before the age, certainly before the age of 35, which is the same recommendation we give to women. Now you mentioned the semen analysis. Are there other yes. like blood tests that are done for men to check for? Yes. Yes. I mean, the, the basic test is the semen analysis. And, and in fact, now they have semen analysis testing that you could do at home. It's a good screening test. It's good enough for at least determining, do you have sperm or not? And if you don't, you know, you immediately need to get checked and find out why. Basically, when a man is found to have no sperm, a zero sperm count, we call that azospermia. If you think in terms of broad categories, there are only two possible reasons. Either you're making sperm and they can't get out. That's obstruction. Some men are born without the ducts, called congenital bilateral abscess of the vas. Those men actually, it's a, it's a variant of cystic fibrosis. They usually have the gene for a cystic fibrosis mutation, or mm -hmm. you're not making sperm, a lack of production. Mm -hmm. Usually you could tell by examining a man, if a man has large, healthy testicles, size of an egg, for example, would be a normal large testicle, and it's firm. Um, if you make a tight fist and you feel what's called the thenar eminence, that's what a normal testicle should feel like. If you open your fist up, it's kind of soft and mushy. That's what a bad testicle would feel like. So if you have a man with a large, firm testicle and ducts are swollen when you examine him, you know it's probably obstructive. If it's a small, soft testis, uh, it's probably uh, lack of production. 
If you're not sure, then we get a blood test, FSH, follicle stimulating hormone. That's what we used to do to see if a woman was near menopause. Yep. When a woman is near menopause, we could tell because her FSH level is very high. If a man has a problem with sperm production, his FSH will be very high. So the combination of a semen analysis, a good examination of the male, and then a blood test of FSH. We also routinely check testosterone. A lot of men, when I ask them, do you know what? The testicles do besides make sperm and they shake their head, they have no idea. Well, it makes the male hormone testosterone. That's what gives men their sex drive, their energy level, their muscle strength, even their bone health. We know that women, when their hormones drop near menopause, they're more prone to thin bones, osteopenia and osteoporosis. Sure. What's much less well known is that if a male has a low testosterone, he's also at a 25 to 30% risk of osteopenia and osteoporosis, even if he's in his 30s. What are some of the other considerations besides age that affect men's fertility? History. For example, a man who has had children in a prior marriage, that's one of the first things we're asked, are you of proven fertility? And then after he was of proven fertility, he had, say, bilateral hernia operations, which can cause accidental injury to the duct. And now he has a zero sperm count. And then when you examine him, you feel normal testicles and you feel swollen ducts because the sperm can't get out, just like a man who's had an intentional vasectomy. And of course, vasectomy, I do a huge number of vasectomies. In fact, uh, the, the request for vasectomies after Roe versus Wade, and also because of the state of the world, uh, a lot of couples are deciding um, that they don't want children and they haven't even had any. I'm seeing a, a big increase in demand for vasectomies in couples who've never had children who think the world is too terrible a place. And uh, that, that's been actually been documented all over the country and even, wow. in, even in Europe. I see a, a huge number of men who've had vasectomies and they're seeing me because they want their vasectomies reversed. Typically, it's my billionaire patients who come in with their trophy wife, or sometimes it's couples who've simply had a change of heart or a, a death of a child, tragically. Interestingly, in couples that come for a vasectomy reversal because of death of a child, the success rate in that subgroup is close to 100% oh, compared wow. to 60 wow. to 80% in the other couples, probably because they're proven fertility together. You usually don't wait 20 years to, to make the decision to have it reversed. That's something I see, I see a lot of. And then what kinds of conditions might impact infertility in men? History. If a man has had a history of a testicle that had to be surgically brought down, Mm -hmm. It's called an undescended testicle. Those men, if they've had them both undescended, about 90% of them are infertile. If they've had only one brought down, 50% of them are infertile. Those men are also a three to 10 times higher risk of testicular cancer. That's another cause for infertility. If a man has testicular cancer, the treatment for the cancer, if they need radiotherapy or chemotherapy, for any kind of cancer. Okay. Right, right. One, of the, one, one of the big things we, we advocate for in my field is is, is fertility preservation. And it's shocking how many oncologists do not recommend sperm banking to men in whom they're going to, young men, teenagers, and younger men, they don't even ask about future fertility. They don't even mention that the treatment we're giving you is likely to render you sterile, much easier to bank sperm prior to the treatment. And that can preserve the opportunity for fertility when they're older. 
So right. that's something, set up a program at the Memorial Sloan Kettering where they do a lot of cancer treatments. But even there, it's shocking how many of the oncologists don't talk to patients. Radical prostatectomy. Prostatectomy in men who are over 45, that's the most common cancer in those men. And never make assumptions that because the man is older that he's not interested in future fertility. How old do you think my oldest fertility patient was? Take a guess. I'm going to go extreme and I'm going to say... 90. That's pretty close. <laughs> Wife was 38. He was 87. Okay. He had had a prostatectomy for benign disease. but So I had to go in and, and suck the sperm out. It's the oldest sperm proven because I took it out, gave it to the lab. The oldest sperm proven to fertilize a female egg and it worked. Yeah. So never make assumptions that a man's not going to be interested in future fertility regardless of age. Uh, a lot of the doctors who do radical prostatectomies for prostate cancer don't even talk about sperm banking um, because after radical prostatectomy men are not going to ejaculate anymore a majority of them i've advocated for all my colleagues who do radical prostatectomy at least ask your patients and if they're not sure there's no downside to banking sperm it's relatively inexpensive it's so easy you put it in a cup you bring it to a lab they freeze it it can stay frozen forever so can you talk now about some of the treatments for men who want to improve their fertility and possibility of having a successful pregnancy? Well, I talk about lifestyles, but we know that alcohol has a detrimental effect on the testicular function. So I recommend no more than six drinks per week. So if you're an alcoholic, stop drinking, go to AA, whatever you need to do. The active ingredients in marijuana, which I think it's unfortunate that's, that it's been made legal. I think that there's a lot more people who become addicted to that. They smoke every single day. And a lot of these are intelligent men, you know? So when they tell me they're smoking every day, I said, you know, I ask what kind of work they do. They say, oh, I'm in, I'm in tech or I'm in finance. And I tell them, you know, there's a reason they call it dope. And, and, the, <laughs> and the other thing is we know that the active ingredients in marijuana, tetrahydrocannabinol, it binds to the estrogen receptors in the testicle and is associated with abnormal morphology. Mm. And it stays in the body for a long time. Typically, sperm production takes three months. So if you do something to alter a patient's lifestyle, like stopping drinking, stopping using pot, it may take three to six months to see the benefit. The other thing on examining a man uh, the most common thing we find in men who don't have um, a lifestyle-related infertility, don't have undescended testicles, is a common condition found in 15% of all men called varicose seal, varicose vein. Exactly the same as varicose veins in the leg. Mm -hmm. If you get them in your rear end, they're called hemorrhoids. All right. the veins in the body should have valves. Blood is only supposed to go in one direction toward your heart. If the valves are either missing or the valves aren't confident, the blood goes backwards, the vein becomes enlarged. Obviously, if it occurs in your legs or your rear end, it doesn't affect the testicles. But the reason men's testicles hang outside of the body is they function optimally at an intratesticular temperature, two to three degrees cooler than body temperature. Hmm. If they're surrounded with warm blood, it elevates the temperature and it impairs fertility over time. Typically, men who have these, they usually appear around the time of puberty, and over time, it causes a progressive decline. So men who have this, usually when they're teenagers, their fertility is still okay, but their fertility drops much faster than men who don't have them. Because microsurgery, which is probably the thing I'm best known for for fixing these, is so safe. Usually we talk about the conservative treatment of a condition, meaning don't do surgery, but you can't fix varicose veins with a medication. And the microsurgery for fixing it is so safe that literally the conservative treatment of varicoceles in teenagers is to fix it because it conserves the function of the testis. And that by far is the most common thing. Does that mean I 
think we should operate on 15% of all men? No. 15% of all men who are varicoceles, but of those, only 20% of all men who are varicoceles have big ones, large ones. The bigger the varicocele, the more it impairs the function of the testicle. So if you look at what percentage of all men have big ones, it's about 2% of the entire male population. Those are the men that would benefit from preventive therapy when they're teenagers rather than waiting until they already become infertile. Once they become infertile, the only thing you can guarantee if you do repair at that point is at least keep them from getting worse. Although if it's a big one, 70% of them will significantly improve. It's by far the most common thing we see that that's treatable. There are a smaller percentage of men, but actually it's surprisingly common. I've seen a lot of actors, professional athletes, I won't mention any of their names, who are taking steroids for bodybuilding, including bodybuilders, professional bodybuilders. People are shocked that testosterone, if you take testosterone, it's actually a very good contraceptive for men and has been used in third world countries as a contraceptive. If you take testosterone, a signal gets sent to your brain saying, there's a lot of testosterone around. Let's turn off your own testicles production of testosterone. Wow. And as a side effect of that, it also turns off FSH, which is what's necessary for reducing sperm. So the one thing you never want to do if you're trying to have children is taking testosterone or any testosterone derivatives. A lot of men take supplements and they don't even know what's in it. It turns out it has testosterone in it and that wow. could be contributing to their fertility. So we want to ask a patient, are you taking testosterone? Have you ever taken testosterone? Thank you so much for this information. Like, yeah, this is very, very informative for myself, especially because at my office, we see many men for pelvic floor physical therapy. So do you <laughs> refer to pelvic floor physical therapy yourself? Absolutely. Yes. I, I certainly see patients who I think would benefit from pelvic floor. I usually refer them first to my colleagues who deal with uh, the issues, uh, the urinary issues uh, that are related to that. And they then refer them. And then they often come back to me if they're also fertility patients and said, you know, Dr. Lee recommends pelvic floor physical therapy. And I said, absolutely, do go for it. It does help a lot of men with their issues. And so where do you envision the future of fertility treatment for men progressing in the future? Part of it is just education, educating the, the female specialists that most male subfertility is not only treatable, but it won't be taking patients away from you. We'll actually be able to bring patients who had no sperm at all before we can get sperm to you or who have a zero sperm counts, but we can dig inside the testicle often and find little pockets of sperm production and make them candidates for treatment when they weren't candidates before. A big part of it is simply education. If you look at the, as I've mentioned, male fertility contributes to at least 50% of all fertility. Look at the fellowship programs in training specialists. There are 36 programs that train specialists in IVF. There are 12 that train people in what I do. I started the first one in the country back in 1984, the same year Larry Lipschel started one in Baylor. So originally we had only two and, and now we're up to 12, which is more than we ever had. But uh, still, it's a huge difference in the number of um, men who are trained. So educating the specialists on the female side that we can help a lot of patients, we could actually bring more patients to them than they would lose by referring patients to us. And educating, you know, couples in general. It's so much easier to start with the male. All he has to do is give a specimen in a cup, at least as a start. And even that, they now have a test where they put it in a cup and could dip, dip a stick in it and at least tell them do they have sperm or not have sperm. Are they way out of range or not? At least get the male screen because it's so much simpler than anything. Everything in the female is on the inside. Right. Also, the examination of the male is so much easier. 
everything is hanging out in the breed. People ask me, what's the most important aid in checking male fertility? And it's not an ultrasound. It's not a CT scan. It's not an MRI. You know what it is? It's a heating pad. Are you familiar with the Seinfeld episode with George and the shrinkage problem? You can imagine he gets out of a cold pool. And I can assure you, George was not concerned with scrotum shrinking. But if you have a tight scrotum, you won't be able to examine a man properly for a varicocele mm -hmm. or for a block duct. So I always tell when I give talks on this that the most important aid in examining men is a heating pad to relax the scrotal dardos muscle so you can do a good physical exam by talking to a man. And listening, which is also a lost art, then doing a complete physical, not just having him drop the shorts, have him stand up with his clothes off. Is he fully masculinized? Does he have very long arms compared to his height, suggesting he has Kleinfelter syndrome? Does he have a beard? Does he have a little gynecomastia? And then doing a good examination and a single semen specimen. And I can usually come up with a diagnosis just on one visit by talking to the patient, examining them, and, and looking at a single semen analysis. And then all the other tests like ultrasounds, blood tests is simply confirmatory. I usually can predict what all the tests are going to show just by talking to the patient and examining them. And I understand you are regularly involved in research. Is there yes. anything you'd like to share that you're working on right now or that's promising? The holy grail in my field would be to take a stem cell, which is readily available fat tissue readily available from the testicle and turn it into a sperm. And so far we've only been successful in mice. And as Steinbeck will tell you, it's a long way from mice to men. That would be the ultimate achievement if we could take a stem cell and convert it into a sperm. Right now, it's not possible. At some point it may be. Tell couples who are not interested in donor sperm or adoption. The wife is young. They may benefit from that in the future. But right now, no. The other thing that we're working on is better, better methods of contraception in men, methods that can immobilize sperm, a pill for men, as opposed to doing a vasectomy. And also the microsurgery, I'm still doing research on I'm getting even better results with microsurgical repair of blockages. And that's always an ongoing theme of my laboratory work. Wonderful. And any final words to share to any of the listeners listening to this, this podcast right now? If you're having trouble uh, with conception, regardless of age, get the guy checked first. It's such a simple thing to do. At least do a semen test and then you'll know should he see somebody or not see somebody. And if you're not sure, the examination of the male is so much less invasive, less painful and simpler than the examination of the female. And then also lifestyle, drugs, alcohol, marijuana, not good for testicular function, not good for brain function either. Well, also, you. you know, I also advocate for a healthy lifestyle. We know that yes. exercise and, you know, at least I walk my talk. I've done 20 New York City marathons and 45 triathlons. Yeah. So, so what I tell people to exercise, as I say, at least I walk my talk. So we know that exercise and a healthy diet. I have a patient instruction sheet that gives basically healthy lifestyle. Tell them they shouldn't drink too much. They shouldn't use drugs. They should eat a, basically a, a vegan diet. Uh, with a modest amount of meat, a healthy diet, healthy lifestyle. It can only benefit fertility. Well, Dr. Goldstein, thank you so much for your time and for sharing. It's been a pleasure. Peace. Thank you again. And okay. Thank you to all of our listeners. Tune in next time for another informative chat on the Know and Do Better podcast.